Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I mentioned this on Tuesday's intro for my conversation with Gil Rosenthal, which I really hope you enjoyed if you didn't get a chance to listen to it. Gil and I shared kind of our top six suggestions for creatively increasing revenue recovery as well as decreasing costs for fraud and risk departments, not just in e-commerce and marketplaces, but also in consumer-focused fintech and other areas within there. The reason why I wanted Gil to come on the podcast and talk about that, as well as why I had PJ last week talking about career trajectories and career paths and those decisions is because while this podcast is about the science and study of online fraud, it also encompasses kind of the science and study in quotation marks of fraud fighters. And we are a unique bunch. We have a lot of personality traits in common, the things that interest us and excite us and all of that. We also have shared experiences. And because I'm in this really awesome but unique perspective of having this 10,000 foot view of the industry, and I'm so lucky to have so many fraud fighters, whether they're on the ground for merchants and marketplaces and fintechs or on the vendor side, sharing with me their experiences and their questions and, and all of that. And there's definitely been some common through lines around the study, I guess we can say, of, of fraud fighters over the last few weeks. And I'm noticing that no matter what type of company you work for. And if you're in fraud, you understand that the type of company you work for really can impact and change what type of fraud you see or the type of tactics you see or where you are in that chain for bad actors. You might see card testing. You might see account takeover. You're going to see different things, right? And obviously vendors and merchants are going to have different experiences as well because they have completely different objectives in the world as well as in their company. But there's one common theme that I'm hearing from everyone. And that is a mixture of stress and exhaustion and uncertainty and not knowing what's going to happen is terrifying to those of us who have been risk adverse for most of our lives. I can relate to that a lot. I actually had to really think about that as I was going into my own business because it's like, am I only thinking doom and gloom because I've been so risk adverse. I've spent my entire career trying to help companies not have risks and not lose money. And then here I am going on my own without a steady paycheck. That's insane. And it was, but that's a whole other story. But we're risk adverse and we like data and we like to know what's about to happen. And we don't even have, or you don't even have year over year analytics and metrics to look at to determine, well, what could happen this year or what could happen next month? Because the last two and a half years of e-commerce have been absolutely bonkers and they're not really anything you can kind of pace yourself with and say, okay, so last year we had a spike in October because of these things. Well, what was happening in October, right? Or was there a lockdown? There was a new strain of COVID. Like just 
all the things. And depending on the company you've either that you work for, either you saw tremendous growth starting in March 2020 because you delivered items that were needed or shipped items that were needed and, and all of that or had a unique business model that really helped people stay connected to each other. Or you saw a huge dip or just actually an evaporation of all sales. Whether you were in various areas of travel, airlines, and shared housing marketplaces, and rental cars, and all of that, as well as event ticketing and events in general and all that. So we've all just seen a lot of crazy changes, and changes require us to react and adapt. We're also seeing fraud tactics change a lot. No longer is it just about stolen credit cards. Now we have more than ever, and sorry to say, and I've mentioned this before, we're going to continue to see more than ever more friendly fraud and first party fraud, whether that is through chargebacks or through refund fraud, promo code abuse, loyalty abuse, etc. So we're seeing fraud change. It's also costing the company a lot more money. If you compare the true cost of fraud surveys from LexisNexis 2020 to 2021, I believe, were the years that are out the last two years. There's like a 50 cents difference. So in 2020, the cost of fraud for every $1 to an online company was $3. And I want to say 16 cents, like 15, 16 cents. Doing this off of memory, I wasn't planning on mentioning this, but I think it's helpful. I hope it is. This most recent number says that every $1 of fraud for e-commerce costs your company $3.60. Is that because of inflation? Is that because fees are going up? It could be a lot of things. And I haven't actually dove in to find out exactly what they attribute it to. But even if the losses of your company due to fraud are the same, the impact and the cost to your company is increasing. So you have all these factors. And then we look on LinkedIn maybe to try to connect with our peers or have a little bit of exit and a break from our reality at work. And we see almost daily posts about layoffs within our industry. And while I strongly believe that fraud and compliance should be recession proof, it's not. There are some companies making decisions are counterintuitive to that. And I don't know enough about their businesses to know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But that is my general rule is you should always have someone manning the ship and the people that have domain expertise in fraud and about your company know more about your company than ever. They're probably the ones that you go to for every random thing that you don't know what's going on or how to fix it. You probably go to someone in fraud because they understand every area of the business. So I believe that that's important. Not every company is, and I think that's making stuff get real. And then also, all I have to compare all of this to is the last recession. I was in fraud at that time, and I, I know a lot of people were, but there's a lot of you that weren't. And so this is the first time you've seen this happen, and it's terrifying. I get that. That's why I'm trying to provide some resources between the last several episodes and this one included. This one's going to be maybe a little more commiseration, but hopefully it is also helpful to you. I think sometimes we just need to know you're not the only one. And as the person kind of looking at the industry from a 10,000 foot view, so to speak, and I kind of am the hub, I'm so lucky so many people trust me, not just for asking fraud advice, but also jokingly have started to refer to me as the fraud therapist. I understand I can have empathy and I can understand that we're all in it. And I can tell you, you're not the only one. But yeah, so looking back at the last recession, 
it first impacted real estate. We didn't really see a big impact in e-commerce depending on what vertical you were in until like a year or two into it. And then that's kind of when some layoffs happened and some companies didn't make it, including the company I was working for at the time. I think that the economic downturn didn't help, but I think that was probably would have been the outcome anyway with leadership and the market and other things. At that time, it, it was really the first of its kind to rent high-end items to individuals and hope it came back. So there were a lot of lessons learned there that I think uh, the other companies that followed in that area learned from, and I'm glad for that. But we didn't see that as much. Now we're seeing the impact on technology first, and that's terrifying with the layoffs, with big decisions being made, a lot of pressure on the vendor side. I know there's a lot of pressure from your Fords to reach out and contact people and you get them into a trial and do all this. But then on the merchant side, you have to understand like they're also being expected to do more with less and they are also underwater and don't have time to reply or anything else. So, you know, it's causing just a lot of issues for a lot of people and it's trickling down those issues, right? So I asked on my LinkedIn this week for some help because some of the messages I've received recently have really been around toxic bosses and a lot of stress there around toxic work culture and not knowing if you can navigate it well and all of that. And I heard from someone who really, I appreciated it so much where, you know, after they listened to the episode of PJ and I talking about some of our career paths and some of the things, you know, the career advice we have for people in the fraud fighting industry. This was two weeks ago on Tuesday. I received a really nice note from someone just saying, hey, I can't comment on this publicly for probably obvious reasons, but I just really appreciated you guys talking about it. I'll read a tiny bit from this. I can't comment publicly on your original post, all of my feelings, but you need to know how helpful and validating it is to hear you discuss your past experience with toxic workplaces. Doing others' work, feeling like you're speaking to a brick wall, etc. It was so validating to hear you speak about this. Right now, even in a toxic workplace, it's very hard to make a move. It's very competitive out there. But I just wanted you to know how helpful hearing that was for me. You and PJ had some wonderful advice regarding getting well-rounded and playing on other toys in the playground. This was a fantastic episode, and I appreciate both of you greatly. I appreciate that note greatly. I don't always know, right? Am I hitting the mark? It's what people need to know, not just now, but people listen to these episodes for months later. But that's why I'm kind of leading with some empathy today and why I'm not talking so much about specific fraud tactics this week as I am going to talk about just kind of the state of the fraud fighter, right? And where we're at. And if I can convey anything today, it's that you are not the only person. And I know that that doesn't help you get another job. I know it doesn't help things feel better where you're at. But hopefully, you know, misery does love company and not that anyone's miserable or I hope not. I hope you're not at that level. It can be really helpful to know it's not just you. And at least for me, that's extremely helpful. So I was anticipating because some of the notes I'd received because of that and I felt, well, okay, maybe I need to dive into that more and talk more about some of the experiences I've had. And not that I wouldn't rather talk about other people's experiences because because I would for lots of reasons. But I feel like the things that other people have shared with me are their stories to tell and they can't and don't want to share them on a microphone and I don't blame them. So all I have is my experience, but I hope it can be helpful. But then I put a post on LinkedIn asking, what's the source of your stress right now? What is stressing you out the most? And the options, I probably should have pulled those up faster. Sorry about that. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about what I would need. So here were the options. Question is, what is the biggest source of stress for you in your job right now? 
expected to do more with less, company-wide fear and uncertainty, toxic bosses or coworkers, and then the last choice was fear of being laid off. I expected those last two or the last three to be the highest. Absolutely not. It was expected to do more with less. So far, there's been 120 people that have voted in less than a day and 56%, and this is state really steady, 56% say being expected to do more with less. 18% shared company-wide fear and uncertainty, 16% said toxic bosses or coworkers, and 10% fear of being laid off. I will say for those bottom three, a mantra I came up with during the time that I was at a startup during the recession and there was so much uncertainty for a lot of reasons. The mantra I kind of helped created for myself, and I don't know if this is going to help anyone else, but it was just fear makes people do crazy shit. And then I would just move on. I mean, I really do have some hilarious stories of that time. They're funny now. They weren't at the time. What these weren't funny, but, you know, people trying to take credit for other people's projects because they didn't want to get laid off or a senior executive. I won't say which department they were in because you could look at my LinkedIn and probably figure that out at some point. But an executive excitedly shared the summer before investors decided to walk away from their investment that they had no doubt that profits were just going to skyrocket and we were going to become profitable very quickly. And when asked, what's the reason for that? We were told because Mercury was in retrograde. Retrograde, and now that it's not, now our profits are going to skyrocket. <laughs> they said that with a straight face. And I actually didn't know what that meant at the time because I wasn't raised with astrology and all that. But apparently they were basically blaming the universe. You can look up Mercury and retrograde because I'm not going to be able to explain it very well. But, you know, basically that Mercury is going backwards and therefore it causes chaos in people's lives. And now that it's not, now everyone's going to purchase from our website. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe. Without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. 
and that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. There were a lot of crazy things that happened then. And so I kind of, it helped me when I would see other people say and do things. And just, that's the other thing about stress is that you're not the only one that's stressed, right? So your boss is stressed and they're harder to be able to navigate or predict than before, as well as your staff. And if you're a team leader, you've got people on your team that are nervous and scared and, and all of that. And that can make people just do some crazy things. So knowing that and reminding myself of that actually really helped me at the time. But what I wanted to just dive into a little bit for a few minutes today was this concept of it being expected to do more with less. I think that's common for all fraud fighters. And I'm kind of just sort of focused more on the merchant side or the you know marketplace and fintech side, the side where you're on the ground fighting fraud. I know that this is impacting vendors as well. And I can talk about that another time, but maybe just knowing how this is impacting merchants will also help one in the audience, but or everyone that's listening. I think that one of the biggest issues with fraud, well, we have a lot of problems with fraud fighting. I mean, but one of them being a fraud fighter is that if you're good at your job, no one knows how good you are, right? They don't know how much you're keeping away. And so they think, oh, you've got that under control. You can do so much more and this and that, et cetera, as well as budget season is happening. And a lot of people are having a really hard time deciding priorities for budgets for next year because their budget isn't going up, even though fraud is. And, you know, they're trying to really make some hard decisions, whether that's about their risk stack or their team members or others. I love fraud strategy. So that's fun for me in that way. But it's also it's fun for me to be able to say, okay, well, let's look at your whole process and then where can we make some changes or add some efficiencies, etc. But it's also very stressful when it's your job and you also have your inbox full of messages and your slack and you're this and you're that like it just it's everyone's exhausted. So I guess my first thing would be like, give yourself a little bit of grace. That's something I never did until the last few years. I mean, when I had burned out, I had to learn a whole new way of approaching work and life or else I was going to have heart issues and other health issues. So I'm coming from a place of knowing and I say that I am a recovering perfectionist, but I don't know how recovered I am. I still struggle. I mean, right now I have a full inbox. I'm still trying to catch myself up from a vacation and such. And I have deliverables due that I'm a little behind on and that just stresses me out and my body feels it that my stomach hurts. It's just the whole thing, right? So we all have to kind of navigate. Here's kind of some of the things I was going to share that have helped me. When I went through the recession, I was working for a small startup. Nobody knew who I was. I mean, was a fraud manager and I loved it. Then I was like, well, wait, I don't know how to get the next job and the next job. I was fortunate that I worked within the industry, within an organization where other companies within my geography were. And I had spoken about chargebacks the year before and Expedia was looking for someone to help them with their friendly fraud chargebacks. Dominic Squeo and I talked about that a few weeks ago, a few want more about that story. And so I was lucky that eventually I did go to Expedia. I had a job and I had a really exciting project that I learned so much from and based a lot of the beginning years of my consultancy on. But at the time, it didn't feel like I had options. It didn't feel like, oh, everything's going to work out. I was terrified. I was a single mom living in Seattle and I was not making that much because a big part of my salary was stock and 
Hmm. Yeah. Now we know how much that was worth. So, you know, and I didn't know all the questions to ask and all of that. So we all learn. But I guess the biggest thing I can say is that this will pass. I had a mentor that once said, it'll all be okay in the end. And if it's not okay now, it just means it's not the end. Probably a little glib, but the point is we won't be in this forever. It feels like it because it's been two and a half years of consistent chaos and stress and a lot of things, but it won't be forever. And I think if you focus on what you need to do within your role, as well as if you are able to focus on yourself and provide yourself with a little bit of time and care, that is so important. When you're burnt out, you can't help your staff very well and you can't present yourself up to leadership either. And so you're just exhausted and you're in triage mode and you're reactive. Again, all of this from experience. And if you have a toxic boss or a toxic coworker, it makes it a hundred times worse because oftentimes you're thinking about it even outside of work and it's just, it permeates into everything. But I know for me, I didn't leave that startup for a long time. I waited a while, mostly because I started that department from scratch and I started the system from scratch and I didn't want to leave it. There was so much of myself wrapped up in that, but also I didn't really know what was next and I wanted to give them time and, and maybe they will pull out. Maybe they will be okay and, and be fine. But once I started to see signs that the investors were probably going to walk away from their investment, that was when I felt like it was time. But up until that point, there was about like nine months to 12 months where it was just chaos. Like I said, people were doing some crazy things and there were several rounds of layoffs. And that is really bad for just the company culture and the company vibe, for lack of a better term. It's even if you weren't affected by the layoff, you're still affected by the layoff. I mean, you might still be getting a steady paycheck, but it's not easy to see your coworkers leave. And sometimes you can have survival guilt, et cetera. For me during that time, it felt like almost every, so they would lay people off on Fridays at the end of the pay period. It would just became, okay, every other Friday, we need to have boxes. It's not funny, but it was, you know, it was hard. But a lot of times I would get pieces of their job. So on top of everything else I was doing, I would then get, you know, oh, hey, they ran this report or they did this and it makes no sense for you. At one point, I went to the CFO who was involved in making the layoff decisions and said, how do I get on that list? I'm stressed out so much and I'm doing so much and I can't keep my head above water. I want to get laid off. That sounds like fun in my mindset then that at the time. That's what I was thinking. And he said, oh, you're never getting laid off. You'll turn the lights off like you can. And that should have maybe I should have taken that as a compliment. But that was the moment that I was like, oh, OK, so I'm just going to keep getting pieces of other people's jobs and I'm going to be the one turning the lights off. OK, now I'm going to start looking. But, you know, we all have that point, right, where we have to make those decisions. But like I said before, often we're expected to do more because the business doesn't always understand what we do or all that it entails. Sometimes they think that fraud orders come in red blinking lights and they're easy to spot. Or sometimes they think, well, we implemented this core fraud tool and this case management system that makes decisioning. What do you, what do you need to do? So I think there's some opportunity for us to continually share with leadership or direct leadership, as well as depending on your corporate structure, up the chain, whatever, that there's a lot that goes into it. And you're not just looking at the queue. You're managing projects for the future. You're overseeing analytics from the past. You're trying to, to stay on top of vendor correspondence and all of the things. So maybe communicating that is not going to solve everything, but that could be one thing that could be helpful. 
Another problem with the fraud fighter is that oftentimes the business thinks that we're easily replaceable. I think I mentioned that a few minutes ago, but there's just so much domain expertise within fraud fighters that they shouldn't be easily replaceable. It's not like other departments where, okay, we have to lay off these people in, I'm not going to pick on anyone's you know, department. And when we can scale back up again, we can add someone else and they'll have very similar skill sets and it'll be fine. This is very different than that. But I think the biggest thing you can ask for is ask for assistance in prioritizing your tasks and projects from leadership. And when you can, assign dollar values to each. So an example of that would be, I just really, I know that things are changing in the business and the business priorities are changing. So I wanted to have a gut check with you. I'm spending this amount of time on on this piece. The reason why is because it's going to, once we get this project done or this product implemented, we'll save X or we'll be able to increase our conversions by Y. Do reporting and this and that, and this is how much time it takes. And it's really a slog, but maybe we can invest just a little bit in some of the companies that have come out recently that provide reporting instantly. Or maybe our company already uses some of those companies. And is there a way to put that in? Oftentimes the business doesn't fully understand everything you're doing. And so communicating with them, not just what you're doing, but why and what the impact is can sometimes help leadership go, oh, I didn't even realize you're still doing that. That doesn't matter as much as this over here. Or, hey, we really need to focus on increasing our sales. So anything you could do to reduce false positives, that would be helpful. Or we're changing our business model. That can add a lot of work as well. And some companies do choose to change business models or add another line of business when things are uncertain and when the market's going down because they're trying to diversify their offerings and they're be able to be relevant to their customers and, and continue to have that customer loyalty. For instance, when I worked at the startup, I'm a few months into the recession and realizing that if people had their homes in foreclosure or were having credit issues, that they probably wouldn't rent handbags for a few hundred dollars a week or a month, depending on the brand. And so they started a consignment business model. And that was completely different from a fraud perspective. We were no longer as worried about creditworthiness because people were purchasing the items. However, there was obviously fraud risks and we had to measure it a different way. So those are the types of things that I think you should be expecting or prepared for as unfortunately your job becomes so much more busy. But I just keep going back to priorities as far as tips for you as I have to do that in my business often because I get sidetracked or want to focus on a bigger issue or something. And that's wait, but what are my main priorities? So that can be helpful. Back to my phrase of fear makes people do crazy shit. Another idea for extra revenue. And I think I might have mentioned this on my episode with Gil, but I promised, I think I promised to provide more details here because we were running out of time. But the chief marketing officer at the time came up with an idea that he thought was brilliant. And they, for the longest time tried to keep me out of it because in fairness I had said no a lot and that is a lesson I've learned and I try to encourage people not to say no as much as well yes but can we do it this way or that way or yes and that means we're going to have to add something new for protection being the go-to and being a trusted resource in fraud prevention and knowing what could happen if you add a different line of business, et cetera, is so, so much more important than saying no to the little things. So I definitely learned to pick my battles. But the big idea was to sync up with a company that sold magazine subscriptions. And 
But this is back then when, before that was against the law in the U.S., where a lot of times there'd be like a sneaky box on the checkout page where it would be autofilled, signing you up for some magazine subscription, right? And then you would then have that magazine subscription and have no idea really how to cancel it or where it came from. That is no longer allowed, but at the time it was, and our CMO kind of took it to another level where, for whatever reason, couldn't or didn't want to have an option on the checkout. It was just going to be basically automatically signed them up for magazine subscriptions without letting them know. And their thought was, we'll get a cut of that from the magazine company and that is more revenue. And the magazine company would own the chargebacks because they're the merchant record. But they did have to get me involved because they couldn't figure out how to transfer credit card numbers to this outside merchant, who in my mind was quite risky because they didn't, we weren't having the customer do it, right? We weren't sending them to go sign up for it or we didn't have that process in place and we were tokenized. So we didn't have the full card numbers. Now, at that time, could I have accessed them manually through our merchant processor on specific reporting? Yes, can't do that now. You could get truncated now, but at the time I could. And so that was what they, but I was the only one that had access to that. And so then the pleas started not asking please, but the plea. And it was really hard for me to get across to them that this was not a good idea. Customer satisfaction and, and just all of that. But that was something where they were really trying hard to increase top line revenue and were looking for any way they could. And so that's why I sometimes preach like being proactive with the tips that Gil and I mentioned the other day, as well as anything else. And sharing that with the business because there are other departments that are also trying to think of those things. And it might be a good idea to beat them to it in a way, or at least show that you are as much of a team player and you're looking at it from a way of how can we increase recovery by adding a collections process or being better, you know, improving the chargeback response process because that is so subjective. And there definitely are little, sometimes they are really little changes you can do to your representation documents to increase your win rate by quite a lot. That is only really going to be true until the end of April or April 15th of 2023 when the new visa rules come into effect, which I've talked about at length. If you haven't heard me talk about it, episode 110. I'm just going to keep saying episode 110. So I really gave a deep dive into it. I mean, it's been a really helpful episode to a lot of people, but being proactive and trying to provide opportunities to recover more funds or the other way to recover funds, obviously, is look at your false positives and really try to drive those down. Review your risk stack. Is one of the providers not as good as they used to be? Do they not help you really be more surgical with false declines? You know, another one, oh, maybe I did get a chance to talk about it as far as also working with a company for a trash to treasure model, so to speak, to look at your decline orders. All of these things. And yeah, in a way, I feel like it's counterintuitive because... All of you are, 56% of you are saying that you're being expected to do more with less. And then here I am saying, hey, why don't you try these two initiatives? But maybe looking at everything that's on your plate and really assessing priorities as well as what can be delegated to other team members. What are some duties that maybe could actually help one of your analysts up-level themselves and have more training and, and more experience. They then can transfer either to a promotion within your organization, within the company, or outside of the company if that happens. So those are some of the things that I would suggest. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing I suggest is take care of yourself. I know what it's like to just constantly be thinking about all the things you have to do. And my husband often tells me to stop shooting myself 
because I often say I should be doing this or I should be doing that or I should have done this. And so obviously it sounds also like something else, but that kind of helps me sometimes. Other times I just tell him to leave me alone. But try to take your weekends. Try to have some fun with your kids if you have them. Try to go outside. These are all tips I need to take myself. But we're going to be in this for the long haul. And it's been a really exhausting few years. I don't even know what mile marker we're on for the marathon because I feel like it keeps getting extended. But, you know, if you feel like you're at mile marker 20 of 26 miles, or I guess I could have translated that into kilometers as well. I know the U.S. is like the only one that talks about miles. But if you're like towards the last third of the marathon, you just have to kind of pick it up and go. And I think this is kind of my rah-rah episode to say, keep going. You're not by yourself. Let me know what you need as far as content on the podcast, guests, topics, etc. As well as if you just need camaraderie with your peers, let me know. I'm really wanting to start up a few more merchant collaboration calls or just happy hours that I did during COVID. I think a lot of people miss just collaboration with each other and talking to each other and there aren't a ton of conferences until next spring. So anyway, I am just kind of rambling at this point. So I'm going to end the episode. This was a little bit of a different style of episode this time. I hope that you enjoyed it. If not, let me know. I mean, honestly, I want to hear the bad stuff almost more than I want to hear the good stuff because that helps me change and improve. It stings for a tiny bit, but then, you know, it's good. So if you don't want to hear me talk about experiences and what other people are experiencing in this way, if you don't really want me to talk about how fraud fighters are feeling and what's going on, let me know. That's how I can change and improve it. But until then, I will talk to you next week. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.